I'm, uh, I'm usually a pretty confident person, uh, other than when it comes to using the PowerPoint clicker, which I'm doing tonight, but uh, I'll see if I can make that work, if I point it in the right direction. I've turned it on, nothing seems to be happening. Tom, you're on. It's not working. I told you, I, this is my area of non, non-confidence. I'm probably, am I shooting people with a laser? Like a, <laughs> let me have a go, Tom. Let's have a... It's got a flashing number at me. Yeah, I'm going to throw it to Troy. There you go. Don't worry. All right. Tom's going to help us out. I'm usually fairly confident except in that area. Uh, so I can get up in front of hundreds of people. I can speak. I can, you know, I don't get nervous. Other than for some reason, even today, many, many years, I won't say how many years since I finished school, but it's a lot more than for most of you. Uh, even today, if I walk into a school principal's office, I start sweating. And I start feeling like I have to confess my sin to them. So even around, I go and, and see the principal at, at the school around the corner because we use some of their facilities. We go and, you know, sign an agreement and all that sort of thing. And as I'm going in, I start feeling guilty. And I, say, and I sit on the little chair that's designed for a primary school kid and I, I start to feel tense, you know, even though I'm an adult. Probably goes back to when I was at school and I did have lots to confess when I was going to the school principal. When I, uh, one school I went to in Brisbane, it was this massive old sandstone school and the principal's office, everything about it was designed to make you feel bad. You know, so you went down this long corridor, dark, and on the walls were paintings of the old headmasters. It was an old, old school. And for some reason, they were all paintings of them when they were really old and angry. I don't know why, but and it's like their eyes followed you. You know they weren't, but it, it felt like that. And you'd get to these massive double doors at the end of the corridor. And I remember the first time, because I went to a number of schools, not because I got expelled, but I went to a number of schools. And I remember the first time I went to, to the office... And as I went to knock on the door, the doors opened and out walks a boy in tears. And my, my legs just went to jelly. And I, I wasn't in trouble. I was going to get a form signed or something, you know, but I just felt like, ah, oh, it's the end. It's all over. I want to say to you, imagine going into the heavens and walking in to the throne room of the holy God of the universe. So a sinner like you or me, going into the heavens, into the presence of the perfect and righteous God. And if that idea doesn't make you quake with fear, that's because you don't understand reality. If that idea doesn't make you quake with fear, it's because you don't understand, first of all, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and you don't understand our sinfulness, how far short of his glory we fall. Uh, We don't understand God's perfect holiness. God is not some cuddly old uncle. You know, he's not somebody to stroll in and say hello to. God is righteous and God is holy and God is awesome in the true sense of that word. God is to be feared above all others. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah had a vision where he went into the heavenly throne room of God and this was his reaction. It'll come up on the screen. Isaiah 6 verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Woe is me, because a sinner like me cannot stand in the presence of the holy God. That is the reality for us all. So you see, for us to come before God, we cannot do that in our own strength and in our own power. Something needs to happen. We need to be washed clean. We need to be forgiven. And more than that, we need a mediator, a representative, what the Old Testament calls a priest, to go into the presence of God on our behalf, to stand between us and God. And that's what makes this passage we're looking at today so wonderful. 
because it tells us Jesus is that priest for us. Jesus is that mediator. Jesus is the reason we can come before the God of the universe and not fear his condemnation. So look with me at verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. The thing I want to say is I think we might just skate over that verse and not realise how wonderful that is. That is some of the most wonderful words you'll ever read. You see, this idea that Jesus is our high priest is the most important, the most wonderful truth. And I want to show you why tonight. But to understand why, we need a bit of a history lesson. To understand why, we need to understand what Old Testament priests did. You know when you sometimes flick around on a Saturday afternoon when you're bored and you flick to those channels you don't normally watch, like Seven Mate and Seven Flicks and Nine Gem and that sort of thing, and they have old black and white movies? I flicked to one uh, a few weeks ago, and it was about the Second World War where they communicated in secret codes. And, And this lady was like the secretary, and she got this message, and it made no sense to her. But then she goes in to the general, or whoever he is, I, I didn't watch enough of the movie to know, but, but he reads it and he starts laughing and crying and hugging her because he has got the code to understand the message and the message said they've won the battle or whatever it was. You see, for us to understand why it's so wonderful that Jesus is our great high priest, that, that means nothing to us because we don't really think in terms of great high priest. But for us to understand it, we need the code, if you like, and the code is the Old Testament. You have to understand what the Old Testament priests did before you can understand why Jesus is even better than they were. And that's what this passage does for us. So come with me into it. I want to jump down to chapter 5 as we start. So our first heading, the Old Testament priests. And that's chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. So if you look from verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from men is appointed in service to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So what that does there is it gives you a summary of what the job of the Old Testament priests was. Uh, They were men, they were human beings, they were appointed to serve God on behalf of us, on behalf of the people. And so what they did is they went in to meet with God in the tabernacle, which was like the tent before they had the temple, and then the temple, once they built the temple out of stone. And that building or tent was where God symbolically dwelt. It was like a model of the heavens where God actually sits. And so they had to go in on our behalf into the presence of God because you and I, we couldn't go in. We're unclean. We were not allowed to go in there. So the priest acted as a go-between. He acted as a mediator. And he offered gifts on your behalf to God. He offered gifts of thanksgiving. So if you had a a child, for instance, remember when Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph went to the temple to offer a pigeon or a dove as a thanksgiving gift to God. That's what the priest did on your behalf. But more important than that, he offered sacrifices for your sins. And so he would, you would give him a lamb or a calf and he would kill it. And that showed how serious sin is. The wages of sin is death. Someone needs to die for the sin of humanity. So the priest would kill the animal on your behalf in your place. And and a good priest helped you in your weakness. So look at verse 2. It said, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also subject to weakness. So because the priest himself was a human being like you were, with his own struggles and his own weaknesses, he was able to empathize with people, he was able to support people and understand their weakness. But that weakness was also a problem. So look at verse 3. It says, because of this, 
he must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. See, because the priest was a sinner like us, he couldn't just march in there. Before he offered your calf or your lamb, he had to offer one for himself because he was a sinner just like us. And more than that, you just had to keep appointing priests. Uh, and they, what they did was they were all chosen from one family, the descendants of Aaron. Uh, that was the family of priests in the Old Testament. And, and one after another had to be appointed. And sometimes you got a good one, sometimes you got a bad one. So that was the Old Testament priests. And I've put all of that in a table that will come up on the screen. Uh, it's also on your outline. You can have a look there. So what you can see is the Old Testament priests, they're appointed by God. That's the first thing. They served in the temple, which is the model or the copy of the heavens. They offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. They were a man or a human being who could empathize with our weakness, but they were a sinner and they needed to be replaced, which was always from the line of Aaron. Now, that was a good system. Uh, It did its job for the Old Testament people. It, It taught the Old Testament people what they needed to know about themselves and about God and it taught them about forgiveness, but it was always temporary and it was always pointing to something better. And that's what the Old Testament does. It points to the final answer. The Old Testament is always getting us ready for the complete answer, which is our Lord Jesus. So that's where we're going to go now. Our next heading, thanks, Tom, the greater high priest. And this is chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. Now, this is going to be a bit of a lecture at this point. Uh, and you might want to fill in. I've decided to you know, keep you honest by not giving you answers. You might want to fill in the rest of that table as we go. But we need to get this knowledge in our heads to get the thing that really matters, what the encouragement is. So with that picture of an Old Testament priest in our minds, now what we can see is how Jesus is the same as the Old Testament priests, but also greater than the Old Testament priests. We can see how he's the same, but in some ways, infinitely better. And as I say, you might want to complete the table as we go. So first of all, just like they were appointed, Jesus was appointed by God. You see that there in verses 5 and 6. So look there, God says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now I'm going to leave Melchizedek, who's one of the strangest people in the Bible, I'm going to leave him until chapter 7. So you'll have to wait for that. That's when you get to look at him. But the point here is, Jesus didn't choose to be a priest. God appointed him to be our priest, to be our mediator. Second thing, they served in the temple. They served in the model of God's heavenly throne room, Jesus goes into the heavens themselves. You see that in chapter 4, verse 14, but I'll come back to that one later. Jesus serves in the actual presence of God. Leave that for the moment, Tom. Go back to the other one. Third thing, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's what they did. They offered the blood of doves and goats and lambs and all that sort of stuff. Well, Jesus offers gifts on our behalf as well. And he certainly did that while he was here on earth. So look at verse 7. It says, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So you see, we see this all through the Gospels. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, over and over again, Jesus prays on our behalf. He prays for his disciples. He even prays for us, disciples in the future. And you see it most wonderfully where he prayed through tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that moment where Jesus is down his knees praying through tears for us and for his people. You also see it in John 17. If you want to see Jesus' prayers for us, you can go read that later on. But of course, the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made was the sacrifice of his own body. The Old Testament sacrifice had to be done again and again and again. You had to go to the temple over and over and bring another lamb and another calf 
Jesus died once for all to pay the price for our sins. So Jesus offers the final sacrifice for sin. Fourth thing, just like the Old Testament priests, Jesus is a human being who can empathise with our weakness. And again, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Fifthly, stick with me. Of course, the big difference is that the Old Testament priests were sinners themselves because they were like us. But while Jesus is a human being who understands our weakness, he's also the Son of God. And that meant that unlike all the other priests, Jesus was perfectly obedient. And that's what verse 8 is about. Come there now. It says, though he, Jesus, was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, don't misunderstand what it's saying there as if somehow Jesus wasn't obedient and he wasn't perfect before. He was God's son. He is without sin. But in coming as a man, Jesus had to learn what it means to be obedient at every point of life. So he had to learn what it meant to be obedient when he was faced with certain temptations. As a child, as a teenager, as an adult, he lived out his obedience and became what he was meant to be by obeying God even up to the point of dying for our sins. So at each point as Jesus underwent new trials and new tests, he learned how to be obedient to God at that point right through to the point of perfection. That's the point it's making there. And then sixthly and finally... The Old Testament priests came and went. Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 9 again. It says, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. It's really important to get this. We never need to find a new way to God. It's not like there was the Old Testament, then there's the New Testament, then we're going to get the new New Testament. Jesus is it. He is eternal. Jesus is it once and for all. So now if we look at our table again. Thanks, Tom. You can see the ways Jesus is the same as the Old Testament priests and the ways he's infinitely better. So first of all, they were appointed by God. Well, Jesus is appointed by God. They served in the temple here on earth, the copy, if you like. Jesus serves in the heavens. They offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. Well, so did Jesus, but he offers the once and for all sacrifice for sin. They were a human being, a man who could empathize with us in our weakness. Well, so is Jesus. But they were a sinner. Jesus is the perfect son of God. They needed to be replaced. They sort of had a use by date. Jesus, on the other hand, is eternal. And so what you see is he is the same in in some senses, but infinitely better. Now, as I said before, that is all really interesting. And uh, I want to commend you for sticking with me through that on on a Sunday evening. Perhaps I'm being aspirational there and you haven't stuck with me. But at this point, come with me. You see, I hope, like me, you're amazed by that. I hope you're always amazed by how Jesus answers the Old Testament, how Jesus completes the Old Testament. But you might be thinking, that's only of academic interest. You know, I could read that in a book. I mean, I already know Jesus is better than an earthly priest. Of course he is. But now what I want to do is I want to show you why this is such wonderful news and why this is so important. So this is the part to come with me now. And what we need to do is we need to go back for the last part of our sermon, back to chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. So with that in mind, with what we know about Old Testament priests, now let's think about our great high priest. So verse 14, look at it again. It's telling us we have this incredible, out-of-this-world high priest. 
He is the Son of God. He is alive forever. And He stands not in a temple on this earth, but in the heavens, in the very presence of God. And that might make you think Jesus is therefore distant and unapproachable. I'm amazed how many people say that to me about Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is sort of, He's different to us. It might make you think Jesus can never understand your day to day struggles and your pains and, and your temptations. But then we get to verse 15. And it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. This is so important. The Son of God in the heavens, firstly, was tested and tempted in every way, just like you are. But then secondly, he never gave in, he never sinned. And so thirdly, he can totally understand and totally sympathize with all of our weaknesses and all of our struggles. Sometimes I hear people respond to this and they say, no, 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 Jesus doesn't really get it. They say, Jesus never sinned, so he doesn't understand my struggles. Jesus never sinned, so he doesn't understand my temptation. He doesn't understand what real temptation is like. People say, you know, Jesus lived a sheltered life, so he can't really understand my struggles. Well, the great Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, wrote a great response to that in mere Christianity. And this is what he said. It'll come up on the screen. He said, a silly idea is current. I like that, that silly ideas don't go away. They're always there. It was current then, it's current now. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later, if we go on to the next part. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He is the only complete realist. See, Jesus can understand the power of temptation better than we ever can. Amazing how many people say, oh, Jesus didn't sin, so he doesn't know what it's like to get angry like I do. Yes, he does, because you give in after five minutes. He went 33 years facing that temptation. Oh, Jesus doesn't understand the sexual temptation we face. He went 33 years in a world obsessed with sex, because the world has always been obsessed by sex. You see, many of us don't know the power of temptation because we give in after 20 seconds. Jesus never gave into it. He was battling it when we'd given in long ago. See, understand this. Jesus can sympathize with any pain you feel because he experienced pain all the way to death and hell. Whatever pain you struggle with, whatever pain you experience, Jesus has experienced it. Jesus can sympathize with any sin you struggle with because he struggled with temptation right to the end and that is why Jesus is the great high priest that is why this is such a wonderful verse and I'm wanting you to see how wonderful it is Jesus knows your battles and so Jesus is sympathetic Jesus doesn't sit up there in heaven distant from us and say what's wrong with these hopeless people why can't they get it right he doesn't sigh and roll his eyes at us and, and look away in disgust. He is the Son of God in the heavens and yet he is totally for you. He is totally on your side. He totally gets us, which I think is the most wonderful reality. 
And that leads to the two great conclusions of this passage. And as I said before, this is so practical and so relevant. Because Jesus is the Son of God, who stands in the presence of God for all time, having made the one sacrifice for sin for all time, and because Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet didn't sin, and so can sympathise with our weaknesses. Because of that, it tells us two things. Look there, verse 14, first of all, hold us far, let us hold fast to the confession. And then secondly, verse 16, let us approach the throne of grace with, with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. I want to look at both of those two things as we finish. First of all, hold fast to the confession. What is our confession? Our confession is the gospel. Our confession is what we believe about Jesus, the wonderful news that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. It's the wonderful news that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and so you have a place in his kingdom. That is our confession. And right from the start of this book, the message has been hold fast to that confession. Do not give up. Do not stop trusting in Jesus. Persevere in your faith. Keep trusting Jesus. And here is that same message again. But now in this chapter, here he's saying, you don't have to do that alone. Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you hold fast. You have a great high priest who is helping you. Jesus is in your corner. He is for you. He hasn't like set it up as a test that you have to pass. He is there with you. So don't give up. Hold fast to him. That's the first point. But then secondly, it says, so approach God with boldness. Remember at the start, I said, if you think you can just march into the presence of God, you're a fool. I didn't use those words, but that's what I said. But with Jesus as our great high priest, we can march into the throne room of God. We can approach the holy God with confidence. And if we do, he promises he will help us stand firm. He will help us to resist the temptations and the trials of this world. Look again at verse 16. It says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. This verse often gets used to explain prayer as a promise about prayer in general, about how we can approach God the Father through Jesus the Son. And that's right. That's why we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you pray to the Father through the Son, because He is our mediator, He is our priest. But here the focus is actually more specific than that. It's not just a general promise about all prayer. The promise here is that God will show us mercy and grace in our weakness. This is saying when we are tested, when we are tempted, turn to Him. When we're, when we're struggling with sin, what is our temptation? Our temptation is to run away from God because we think God doesn't want to look at me with my sin. Jesus won't, won't sympathize with me. So when we're struggling with sin, often we actually hide with God. You see it all the time. When people are allowing sin to fester in their lives, they pull away from church. They pull away from fellowship because they, they don't even want to hear God speaking to them. But then when we, even if we're not doing that when we're tested and tempted, our temptation is then to do one of two things. We either just give in, like I said before, we fight the fight for 20 seconds. We say, just do it. It's easier than resisting. Or the other temptation is to think we can do it on our own, to think I'm strong enough to stand up to this temptation. Oh, I'm strong enough to beat it. Neither of those is the right thing to do. The right thing to do 
is to approach the throne of grace with boldness, seeking Jesus' grace and mercy. See, Jesus forgives us in our failure, but he also promises to help us to stand, to help us to fight. See, Jesus is not there standing there judging you. He sympathises with you in all your struggles and he wants to help. So you see, when we are overcome with despair and we're not certain what we should do, well, we should pray through Jesus and ask God to help us stand firm. When we are tempted to, you know, burst out in anger and scream at people and you feel helpless, pray through Jesus and ask him to help you maintain your composure. When you are tempted to click on that website and you're already feeling guilty as you do it, it's not inevitable. Pray through Jesus and ask for God to give you self-control. When you are tempted to make that scathing comment about that person and join in, in putting another person down, it is not inevitable. Pray through Jesus and ask for God to help you speak a word of love instead. Jesus is for you. That is the point of this passage. Jesus is for you. Jesus sympathizes with you. And that means we can always approach the throne of grace with boldness and know that we can receive his mercy and his grace to help us at the time we need it. And I think that is the most wonderful truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is our great high priest. We thank you that he has paid the price for our sins once for all through the sacrifice of his own body. And we thank you because of that, that we can approach your throne with confidence, not fearing your condemnation. And so, Father, in that light, help us to stand firm, hold fast to our confession. And more than that, when we face the struggles, the trials and the temptations of this world, help us to remember that Jesus can sympathise with us and wants us to turn to him for strength and for grace and for mercy. And we pray in his name. Amen.